So welcome to episode number 71 of the Birding Life podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. This week's guest was a 2021 BirdLife South Africa Owl Award winner. She is one of our country's leading conservationists and is the current chairperson of BirdLife Etiquini KZN. I'm pleased to welcome Nicolette Forbes to the show. In this episode, we have a great conversation about the Bird Club. We get to hear some of the great stories from Nicolette's own birding journey. Get prepared to be jealous because she's been to some fantastic places. And we get to hear all about the conservation work she has done with our country's estuaries. Although Nicolette is a scientist, she has the ability to communicate in a way that is both simple and very interesting. Get ready. This is an absolutely fantastic episode. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasso bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. If you enjoy this podcast, please can we ask you to subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast to help others to find the show. Please also tell others you know about the show. If you would like to contribute to help us cover the costs associated with hosting the show, you can click on the link in the comment section of this episode and buy us a coffee or two. So without further ado, let's hear from Nicolette. So Nicolette, you've been the the chairperson of BirdLife Etiquini KZN since 2019. It was called BirdLife Port Natal before then. The club has grown leaps and bounds under your leadership. And I remember when we first started the podcast, we chatted to you a whole lot about the club. But the growth that we see in the club is one of the one of the reasons why you were awarded an Isle Award this year by BirdLife South Africa. Just want to say well done on that. It's fantastic. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about the club? And for those who don't know anything about the club, just about the club and about the history of the club and that type of thing. Thanks, Adam. And thank you. The Owl Award itself was a huge surprise and shock, but um, was very, very welcome. Always nice to get a little bit of acknowledgement because there has been a tremendous amount of work that has gone into the Bird Club over the last two or three years. You're right. I took over in January 2019 as chairperson and we went from a membership of about 186 people to nearly 500 now. And it's a club that has grown out of the Natal Bird Club, which was founded here in Durban in 1949. So it's a club with a very, very long history that has evolved through to what we are today, which is our new name, BirdLife Etiquini KZN, and which, as our club, our website says, is the club serving the greater Durban area. But we actually serve well beyond that as well. We've got a membership that includes people from all over KZN, including Eston, Harwick, Richards Bay, the Mcusi area. And that seems to be spreading more and more recently. And we can get on to why that might be happening. But we also have some overseas members. We've unfortunately just lost Tim Wood, who was one of our members and has was part of the, the Bird Club's committee and a real stalwart in the club. And unfortunately, he passed away literally yesterday. And so we have a membership that ranges from from overseas members right through to the bulk of them being from within Etiquini municipality. Yeah, so Nicolette, I remember when you first became the chair of the club, I was on the committee at that time. And I remember, I didn't actually know who you were, and you became the secretary of the club. Uh, you got, uh, we were just announced that this Nicolette's going to be the secretary. And after a few months, um, all of a sudden you became the chair and you've done a fantastic job. But you you came in quite quick, but it was fantastic. I know you were part of the club for a long time, but you've done a fantastic job with the club. 
Thanks very much, Adam. Yes, I think um, Leslie Frescura did a very, very quick sleight of hand manoeuvre there because I did volunteer to be the secretary because she couldn't fill the role and my head was still spinning from that when I suddenly was acting chair or interim chair and then voted in as chair at the next AGM. So, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind. I think for a lot of bird clubs, the this, the COVID-19 pandemic has been quite a challenge because obviously bird clubs have talks and walks and they have various conservation projects that they're a part of. So what has the club done to adjust to the restrictions that, that there are around the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, it, it's such, been such an interesting time in terms of having to adjust and adapt. The last time we spoke, when we did the last interview, it was to profile the club's lockdown challenge, which I'm sure you will remember. It is an initiative that turned out so much better than any of us imagined with incredible spin-offs. So during that time, we asked members to bird in position. And at that stage, we were in the highest level lockdown where everybody was literally confined to wherever they were. So the spin-offs from birding like that and then having to communicate were that members that would never usually interact got to do so and made friends, actually, even in a virtual space. And we all found out a little bit about each other and our own home patches. So it, there was an incredible camaraderie that came out of that. And it's it's been maintained. We have a WhatsApp group where people communicate on a club level around birds, about the club, about events, how they're feeling, all sorts of things. We keep it quite strictly to birds because that's the, the whole idea. But it's amazing how that has allowed people to become friends when they probably would never have in the in the old model. The club has also had to adjust to to doing things virtually, much like we've had the African Bird Fair just recently. And we have had walks when it's been allowed in those small, short interim periods and had to evaluate whether it was safe. But we've been very cautious about ensuring the safety of our members. And this month's birding diary for for August 2021 is a case in point. We've got six different online events to keep people talking to each other. And we've also diversified these to try to keep people engaged, thinking about birds. And what used to be simply a a a once-a-month meeting with a presentation has for this month turned into a quiz a learning exercise about how you bird atlas, a special slot for beginner birders, which is around learning your urban birds or the birds in your garden and getting familiar with those and being able to translate that to all the other areas that you, you might visit. And also a more intensive session, which is going to be with people like yourself who are participating in our Atlas Challenge, who we, we need to just put our heads together, look at it as a group, decide where there are gaps that we can fill and where there might be gaps that we really cannot get to. And also who's doing things right, who's doing things wrong, who's doing things really well and why is it working. So that would be, I think, quite an interesting session for the more experienced birders and atlases. So we've got quite a lot on offer. I think one of the my favorite challenges has been that atlasing challenge, and I just you know we we spoke on one of our other episodes about how that's actually driven us to go and find new places, and you know it's it's been a fantastic fantastic challenge the 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 Kalimi Green challenge. It's been it's been one of my favorite challenges that BirdLife um, Etiquini's done. 
Oh, that's good to hear. And yeah, I think it's I think that is is where younger birders would really benefit from joining the club because we need people who are going to be adventurous. They can run down to the bottom of a valley and back up again when we are in new areas. And that happened just recently up in the the outer west where actually the the older birders stayed up at the top. The younger birders went crashing down to the bottom and went looking for the birds they could find. So yeah, it, it gives, I think, members a bit of everything. And we get to see new places and find out that you don't have to just stick to all the same parks and areas that you know and love. You can actually broaden your horizons a bit in your own home territory. Nicolette, I've got to know over the years and I've always had always been fascinated by the chats. You told us a lot about the places you've been to. I was just saying to you before we went on air, you when we, we had a, a little workshop at Above Anger, one of our nat- little nature reserves, and you're telling us all about your trip over the US. You you got some fantastic stories, but you know, let's rewind a bit. Can you tell us how did your personal birding journey start? Oh, it's a bit of a difficult answer because my interest in all things living, I can probably pinpoint to my nursery school days when I disappointed to bullying boys who were trying to frighten me with a grasshopper by really trying to terrify me by putting it down the back of my shirt, by turning around, taking it gently from them and trying to release it safe and unhurt and being quite cross that they should do this to this little creature. But there are also some very strong memories of my first trip to the Mkuzi Game Reserve with my high school and, believe it or not, partnered with DHS boys And that particular trip, my dad allowed me to take his camera and I got to fall in love with a DSLR for the first time. And I was 16. It made me wildly popular with two of the DHS boys on the trip who were keen bird watchers um, who made sure, and by the way, those two boys are both still friends and associates of mine, who proceeded to, to ensure that I photograph all the birds that we were seeing on the trip. And on that trip was also Roy Cargill, the legendary man, who was the biology teacher at DHS at the time. So I had my first encounters with Roy as teacher, birder, wit, um, amazing person to to be with in the field. So that was as a 16-year-old. So he made an impression on me. And we'll talk a little bit about, I think, other people that I I might have been influenced by. But one of the first records in my bird book that is written with a date and a location was a black crake which I've still got a photograph of because of that particular trip. And we all know how contagious bird watching is. So I suppose the rest, as they say, is history. And then what was your first bird guide you got? Um, at that stage, it was, I think, an, uh, I had a Roberts. But I had also, my records actually went into, after that trip, into a Newman's because I'd encountered a Newman's on the trip and really enjoyed the, the drawings and felt, found that it actually worked really well for identifying birds. Now, I remember you told me the one day you actually, you have a record in your bird book of where you've seen the birds and the date you saw them. It must be like, there must be so many stories attached to your, your field guide. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I try and encourage other birders to do. And I, I remember one of our members telling me that, that she was just recording her birds on Bird Lassa and she was a new birder. I think she only had about 50 birds under her belt at that stage. I won't mention her name. She might be embarrassed. And one of the things, I gave her this lecture about how important it was to make a memory of those sightings because later on she was going to be sorry that it was just an electronic record. And that's not decrying bird lass at all because I adore it as well. But when it comes to registering a lifer, we and, and our family have always made it quite a thing. So at the end of the day, you sit down with a drink 
and you celebrate that writing in and that writing in goes with the date, the location, what you saw, maybe what the birds were doing, how many there were, how unusual it was, who was with you, depending on what it was. I even have witnesses to my first African broadbill sighting, one, a Norwegian man who actually writes to SA Birdnet quite frequently, Vim Vader. So he signed as a witness. It was also a lifer for him. So I witnessed his book. So there's all sorts of things in there. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. That, but you know, as a, when I've had a ch- when I've had a chance to chat to you, shared stories um, of encounters you've had with well-known birders over the years. So, what are some of the birders that have helped shape and influence your your journey? I think probably the people I would I would draw out of that, and there've been many many birders that I've encountered along the way. I've enjoyed club members so much, and I'll come back to that. But I think the ones that I've worked closely with, because they've also been a part of my professional and personal life and probably starting with the late Phil Hockey who also worked in estuary environments so our interactions were more than just around birding but were around the habitats that we loved as well and what the birds were doing in those habitats. I was also lucky enough to have an encounter, encounters with Gordon McLean both at a personal level and professionally. David Allen at workshops whose insight and turn of phrase always manages to make me either think differently about something or laugh out loud. And the late Hugh Buck, who with full hockey gave me two of the most memorable days that I've ever had in in Malaysia. I think also a reading about Phoebe Snetzinger's birding journey has been quite influential. And then the club members, as I mentioned, who were great companions when I joined the Bird Club, Natal Bird Club in 1985, and great teachers. And although I've left until last, Professor Tiki Forbes, who has been my mentor, patient teacher, impatient teacher, my rival, my travel companion, my husband. Do you know that our wedding vows have a personalized bird message? I promised never ever to see more birds than him, silly me. (laughs) But who has taught me not only to see the bird, but the bigger picture. And I think that's been an incredible lesson, both bird-wise and professionally. You know, you were speaking about David Allen, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think it's such uh, such a, 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 a good reason to be a part of a bird club. I mean, a guy like David Allen, who is one of South Africa's most well-known ornithologists and, you know, well-known. I mean, he's been authored many books, co-authored many books. And, you know, for me, it's been an absolute privilege to be able to sit over a table with someone like like David Allen. I mean, this is one reason I think joining a, a bird club is is so, so important. Yeah, it brings you into contact with, with professionals and people with, with insight, people with levels of experience that you might not have expected to encounter and also different skill sets. I mean, many of our members have have wonderful other talents or abilities or professions, anything that can be shared. So you never, ever know what you're going to encounter when you are at a bird club event or, or talking or walking or seeing things. You never know what's going to come up. So in discussions we've had before, you've spoken about some of the amazing places that you've been able to travel to as a birder. And I must be honest, I've been very jealous with some of the birds you've been able to see. So what have been some of the highlights um, over your birding journey, places you've been able to see, birds you've been able to encounter? What are some of the highlights? (laughs) Highlights. Again, one of these difficult questions, Adam, and and it's hard to talk about it without making it seem like you, you, you kind of boasting about where you've been. But Tiki and I have always had the feeling that the only reason we work 
is to travel. So the only reason we, we try and make money is to simply spend it again and, and go to a new place. It's what really drives us, what gives us thrills, whether it be for birds or the mammals that are there or the plants. Um, I'm a botanist in the in the initial training, so I love my plants as well, and I know that'll thrill people like Sit and Bisa. And I suppose for us, travel is also part of the greater biological experience. So it adds to what we know about the world, about habitats, you know, about different, it just gives gives you different perspectives, as you know. So if I have to pick the, the highlights and stick to mainly the birding ones, I think seeing hummingbirds for the first time in Costa Rica, Tiki and I nearly fell over breakfast tables. We were backing up so fast to be able to focus our binoculars. Um, seeing hoatzins for the first time in South America after learning about them in biology undergrad lectures and what a, an amazing bird they are in terms of evolutionary history and the features that they have. Having orangutans walk up to me and hold my hand in Borneo, visiting Falklands and Antarctica and watching wandering albatross follow our boat for almost two hours. I mean, that, that takes quite some beating. Sailing around the Cape Horn, and also then taking 369 photographs of Atlantic puffins the first time I saw them because puffins were something I really wanted to see. And every single time we ended up in the UK, it was the wrong time of year because it would often be traveling for conferences or for the work that we do. And the timing just wasn't right. So when I finally did see them, I made the most of it. And there'd be there'd be so many more if we had to sit down and just chat. There, there have been lovely trips and lovely travels and I feel very privileged to be have been able to do do that and see as much as we have seen. I must say when you shared that I got goosebumps all over some fantastic um, birds mammals oh, there's so much more traveling I want to do but one thing you've been amazing at uh, as club chair is helping newer birders start off the journey and I've been able to watch on the whatsapp group how you've guided people through the start of the journey and they've been able to get advice and that kind of thing but for somebody who's listening who is maybe a newer birder, what advice would you give for listeners that are starting off birding besides joining a bird club? I know that's an important thing, but what what other advice would you give them? I know I would have answered that one way until you said, yes, I know you must join a bird club. but And that probably would have been one of the things that I would have said. But my first thing would have been, if you've got the slightest interest, and even if you don't, just don't hesitate. Just try it. Come and try it with us or with one of our one of our experienced birders and you'll be amazed at how much fun you have and how addictive it is. So even if you don't think you've got an interest in birds, come and try it. Just give it a, sh- give it a shot. You can only try anything once and see how you feel. And I, I think I'm confident enough that the enthusiasm of many of our members and the experience that you get will win you over so fast your head will spin so here's an interesting question you i think i remember having a chat to you the one day and you spoke about why you didn't go into into birds how you almost kept birds as your your hobby as opposed to your specific area of of research and science and that kind of thing but here's the thing how do you feel that your experience as a scientist has added to your birding journey that's an interesting thing because I think sometimes when we've taken out, had this conversation, and actually it's been scientific papers written about how being an ecologist can keep you in a state of mourning, particularly as we move through this Anthropocene where we are probably destroying habitats and species at a great, greater rate than ever before. 
But I think from my own personal perspective, I think it allows me to see things in a slightly broader context and at a deeper level while I'm birding. So birding, even for, for Tiki and I, is about, as I said, with our travel, it's about seeing new habitats. It's about seeing birds in that habitat, how they behave, how they interact with other species. What does the vegetation look like? There are many other birders I know, though, that also do that. They have that broader view and they're not just focused on the checklist ticks and numbers. But I think when you have a trained eye and you're looking at something, you tend to just see connections and see things just a little bit differently. So it deepens that. And I think that that's something you can get if you travel or bird with somebody that has that vision. You can get that in talking. So I think it's something you can also pass on and and being teachers of what we know is something that Tiki and I both love. So I think that that also comes out of of our training as as a scientist. Not that scientists are always good communicators because that I'd be the first ones to say that they're not. But I think we both lectured and so we both love sharing what we know. And it, it's something that that we try and do whenever we we have somebody who's interested, somebody who says, why? Or What's that? Or what's, why is it like that? Or why does it do that? It's just questions are something we absolutely love. So we celebrated Women's Day on Monday in South Africa. So how do you feel that being a woman birder, um, I know I said I don't like using that term before, but you're a woman who is in birding. Do you feel that there's acceptance and respect for women, for women birders in South Africa? What I would say is I think we live in a society that has been male dominated for a very long time. And the ways in which this plays out across a whole lot of sectors, run so deep that it's a very difficult, I don't want to call it a habit, but a thing to break. It's a difficult socialization to change. It's something that I encounter in the professional sphere as well. Um, There have been many times that I have been project lead and put Tiki and I both in the same room and people literally ask him the question rather than me. So it's something that we encounter a lot and birders are just a microcosm of society, and they reflect that. So I think that it's, it's something that's very real, and it's there in terms of acceptance and respect, that it might not be quite, might not quite be a level playing field. But how, I think the, the female role models and bird ambassadors are getting stronger all the time. And maybe, just maybe, there's been an incremental shift towards changing that. But I think you will know yourself as a male that when it when when males are chasing a bird or there's a bird around and people are going to chase it, there's a lot of competition that develops. And it's very often male to male and females are excluded from that or not even seen to figure in that. And that's just things that I think people need to be sensitized to and, and suddenly realize they're doing it. Sometimes I think it's completely unconscious. Yeah, I actually thought about when I was preparing, the the funny thing is, is, and we were speaking a little bit about young birders before we went on air. And, you know, if you, even if, if you look, you know, I know with the, a lot of the, the club chairs that in, in South Africa and a lot of the older birders are female, but it seems like, you know, from just as, as an observer, it seems like a lot of the, the, the younger birders coming through the, the under 30s, it seems to be more male dominated. And it's, it's something that I really hope we're going to see a change in with more young female birders coming through in, in, the, in the future. Maybe just actually saying that out loud actually sensitizes people to it. So by doing that, you've already, you've already maybe started a few people on a journey of thinking differently about it. Maybe 
you are not necessarily seeing the female birders because you are programmed to notice the male birders. So those are all things that we need to maybe question and think about and self-evaluate. No, it's a very good point that. So yeah, a lot of challenges around that, that that area. And I think it's 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 a it's a thing we're dealing with in society as a whole. But you and your husband, Professor Tiki, um, run MER, who do riverine, estuarine, and marine assessments. So can you tell us about some of the projects you've been involved in and what these projects have shown about the state of our country's estuaries? We've been in, in this field for a long time. Uh, Tiki actually lectured at the university for 31 years in, in biology and obviously focusing on aquatic and marine subjects. So um, his his knowledge runs very, very deep. I lectured also for a, a few years, but then we started MER. I started MER in 1999. So it's been running for just over 22 years now. And um, we've had a number of different projects that have ranged from giving legal advice to prawn trawler owners that have crashed in Maputo Harbour and are now losing fisheries catches, for instance, through to assessments of health for marine and estuary environments, to development plans and assessing how they can make that development a little bit more friendly to an estuary or the environment that they are near or whether it should not be there at all. So there's quite a range of work, but I think probably one of the most important things is that KZN has 75 estuaries, and we, Tiki and I, have worked in all of them, either as field work um, in, in most, in many, or as ad hoc advice or problem solving or management advice in the remainder. So we've got quite a a wide knowledge of certainly the estuaries in KZN, and we've worked as well in some of those in the Eastern Cape, uh, the estuary around Port St. John's, the Mzimfugu, right up to the Limpopo estuary in Mozambique, and, and many of the estuaries that run around um, Maputo Bay. So we've got quite a, a wide knowledge of the East Coast subtropical systems under our belt at this stage. And it's it's an environment that we, we love and are quite passionate about in terms of making sure that they are protected and making sure that they are restored because the state is not good. I think that was the last part of your question. Our estuaries are suffering. They are the end point of our land-based drainage and what's coming off the land ends up in those estuaries. And they are, they are such an important interface between the freshwater and the marine environment, that we really need to look after them. They're quite important along the South African coast because they are the sheltered environments and nursery areas for so many of our creatures in a, in a seascape that is very dynamic. So they are exceptionally important, and we need to do more to look after them. Now, you spoke now about how what happens on land eventually affects the the, est- the estuary systems and the recent KZN unrest led to an arson attack on the UPL factory north of Durban and this resulted in a chemical spill. I know you and Tiki have been very involved in this. Um, what impact have you noticed so far from, from the spill? Okay, one of the most obvious things was the numbers of dead fish and crayfish that resulted from, from the chemical spill and that was fairly obvious two or three days after it. And I think that was only because that was when people got out and about after the unrest. 
on the 15th, there were various pictures and videos being shared on social media about the devastation. And it, it has been a devastating ecological event. Because we're on the emergency response team, I can't say too much more about that other than to say that I think it's it's well known, and there was a carte blanche episode, I believe, um, last night as well, that this was a, a devastating impact on the estuary and even on our inshore marine reefs uh, along the coast, particularly up towards Mshloti. So Nicolette, what can birders do on a practical level to help conserve our estuary systems? I think there's a lot they can do. And this is something I, I want to work on, perhaps even Hank. I've, I've, I've actually chatted a little bit with Hank Mel about this, but having some sort of citizen citizen science program where we can draw people in to assisting with our estuaries to be the ears and eyes on the ground would be one of the things I'd say to to everybody keep your eyes open have a look when you see something happening you know act on it uh, report it if it's something that looks like it shouldn't be happening if it looks unusual whatever it might be it's, it's worthwhile talking about it and finding out about it and learning about it. And the other thing I would say is there's, it's amazing how many people are estuarine specialists that have absolutely no understanding of these systems. So I would say to them, listen to the science, learn about them. Don't decide you're a specialist. I don't decide that I can build bridges because I know a few engineers. Rather take the time to learn about the systems, find out the facts, understand what the nature of these systems is, and and then start communicating. Be vocal. Be the eyes and ears for these systems on the ground. We've got people spread all up and down our coast, and yet when we need information about these estuaries, we can't seem to get it. So Take photographs on a daily basis if you live right near an estuary. Keep an eye out on what the mouth is doing. Write it down. It takes a few minutes to say open, closed, open today, whatever it might be. So there was a fish kill. You know, report the fish kill. What happened? What did you see? It's all those type of things that really count when you need them. Um, Nicolette, this is a question you didn't prepare for, but I want to just ask you before we ask the last question. You know, when I chatted to you a while ago, we were just talking about some bird books that you recommend. And one of the books that you recommended was um, Kingbird Highway. Um, also read, I read Noah Stricker's book. What are, what are some bird books besides the field guides and the books that birders normally have? What are some other books? And you mentioned one of them earlier that, that you think birders would enjoy and might want to add to their library. There's lots of those, Adam. And um, as you know, I think when we did that course, we also shared a list with everybody. But for me, I've already mentioned Phoebe Snetzinger's book. Um, there's a book called The Life List, which I think most would enjoy. And anybody who birds and travels would really relate to to what some of the experiences that Phoebe had. And she went through a hell of a lot from rapes to car accidents and was ultimately killed. I think her, her last bird were, bird that she saw was a Vanga flycatcher. And at that time, she was number one in the world of, of birds in terms of her world life list. So she actually died birding, doing what we, what we all love. So that book, and then also things like Birds in a Cage, which I think is very inspiring. Noel Stryker's book, as as you mentioned, and Kingbird Highway. There's just so many that there that have been written about birds that cover all sorts of aspects from birders themselves. Bull Oddie's little black book is almost essential reading for a birder, but there there are many more if you just look for a for a bird book. And I've got a list which I'm very happy to share that people can 
can pick and choose a few for a starter list. So Nicola, just the last question. You've done a fantastic job. We spoke about it many times as the chair of the club. So for other people that are listening who are part of bird clubs, what advice would you give them to hopefully make some improvements and to, to see the kind of success that you're seeing at, at BirdLife Tequeni? Are you asking about the people that run those bird clubs? Are you saying advice to them? Yeah, just advice to different bird clubs. You know what? You know for chairs and that who are who are who are operating bird clubs. What advice would you give them? What from from your experience with BirdLife into Quinny KZN? Okay, I, I clarified that for a reason because to the people that are running bird clubs, I would say don't give up because it's a hard slog. So and and I know what that's like to try and keep people coming and doing and participating. But I want to throw it back at the members and the non-members that are out there and say it takes two. There are huge challenges facing bird clubs at the moment. And David David Allen mentioned this at our AGM um, one back. He basically said civil society is breaking down. And I think that I'm now beginning to really see where he was coming from. Members are not just going to come on their own. So from the point of view of the committee, you need to work at it and work hard. And it needs to be People love personal attention. You know, get to know your members. I have, I never knew I would know so many people by name and be able to remember what they've done and where they live and everything else. So you you really need to work at that little personal touch. That's the one thing. I also think you need to keep diverse, keep it a bit diverse, keep it a bit spontaneous. People don't like too much change, and some of the older members will balk at it, and that can be a little bit demotivating, but you just need to push through. And when people try new things and they find that it's still safe to do that, they come on board. So that is one aspect. But for the for the members and the non-members, just remember that a lot of work goes into doing all of those things. So even if you're feeling tired at the end of the day, try and participate because that's what feeds us who do the work and what feeds the committees of the different bird clubs. And also, if you're not a member, I would ask why not? Because the bird clubs around KZN are flagging. We've actually lost two affiliated bird clubs, and I'm not going to mention them, but they have actually closed up from being an affiliated bird club, which has implications for our national body, BirdLife South Africa, because we are all affiliated. Those of us that are in that have BirdLife or have an affiliation are in the fold with BirdLife South Africa. So our members are also their members. And it makes a difference to have a membership. So when you are speaking on behalf of whatever it might be, you can say, I have a thousand members or I have 2000 members behind me. It amazes me that there are so many 30, 35-year-olds out there who are running around birding, and then and they know I know them. They, I can call them out by name. And yet, when it comes to it, our club, I think, costs 180 rand a year. They should think of that as a donation. You don't have to join everything. You don't have to come to anything. But be there and be a vote for nature, be a vote for birds, because it becomes important. So it's not just about what you're going to get from the club. Don't join just because you haven't got time, or you don't think the bird club can give you anything because it's just a whole lot of older members, which I heard a lot on the bird youth program the other day. Not yours, but another one. Rather be there, be infiltrate as a younger bird club member and be the change. 
that you want to see happen or be the new type of activity that you want to see. So I think it's not just about giving committees or chairs the right advice because a lot of those people are working quite hard. And I think a lot of them are starting to feel like they might as well give up because civil society doesn't seem to be geared anymore to people joining clubs. There's so much going on on social media that it seems to have diluted what people need in terms of these. And I think if you came and joined some of the events, you might be surprised at how much fun it is. My One of our members actually said to me the other day, actually, I just joined the Zooms because I think that it's good to support what, what's being done in the club. And I mean, that's noble in itself. She says, but then when I join, I find out that I have a lot of fun anyway. And I thought that was a brilliant analysis. So people must just join and it might surprise you. And if it doesn't surprise you, know that what you're doing has given back to birds and conservation and their habitats. And I think that's the most important part. I know personally a lot of my best birding memories have been connected to the bird club. But Nicholas, I just want to say thanks so much for being on the show. Um, I know we've had a whole lot of sound issues. Um, Our sound's been going up and down. But it's been fantastic to chat to you and I just want to say thank you so much. And once again, just congratulations on the Owl Award. And yeah, if anyone is not part of um, a bird club, if you live in KZN and you want to join um, BirdLife at Tequeni KZN, I'll drop all the links into the, the, the comment section of this podcast. Um, so yeah, um, I do encourage you to get connected to the club. But once again, Nicolette, thanks so much for being on the show. And if I can have the last word there, because that's a good idea, Adam, you can actually belong to more than one bird club. There's nothing to say you have to only join the bird club where you live. I myself am a member of two bird clubs. So there's nothing to say you can't join three or four. And there are a couple of people who are, actually. Once again, Nicola, thanks much. Really appreciate it. eh? Thanks, Adam. Thank you very much. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation as well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.